0: My name is Mike DeBliss. I'm a tax attorney specializing in international tax compliance. And I wanted to chat with you today a little bit about cryptocurrency. It seems to be all the talk today. And for good reason. When an asset rises by almost 30% in a few weeks, it is bound to attract people's attention. A year ago, that asset was Bitcoin. The price of Bitcoin in dollars rose from $454 on May 23, 2016 all the way up to $590 on June 6, 2016. Similarly, when an asset doubles in a matter of a few months, it too attracts attention. The cryptocurrency Ether, part of the Ethereum platform, doubled from around 7 bucks in April of 2016 to roughly 14 bucks in early June of 2016. So the question that most people ask is um, is this real? Are these cryptocurrencies you know uh, values here to stay or is it merely just a fad? Or are they potentially game-changing alternatives to the conventional currencies like the US dollar, the Japanese yen, or the European Union euro? Now There are people on both sides of the fence here. There's no lack of skeptics and critics of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. For example, I pulled an article just the other day um, that was titled National Currencies Aren't as Centralized and Bitcoin Isn't as Decentralized as you think. At the same time, there are a plentiful of defenders of cryptocurrencies. The controversy is understandable. Um, Bitcoin is definitely volatile and has had a difficult um, adolescence. After soaring from 15 bucks in early 2013 to over 1,000 bucks in December of 2013, it later crashed to 215 bucks in early 2015 in the wake of a bankruptcy of a major Bitcoin exchange that cost Bitcoin investors almost 470 million in losses. So that is a large chunk of change and something that definitely can't be overlooked. Despite concerns about security, criminal use, and volatility, cryptocurrencies have grown exponentially and new models like the smart contracts of Ethereum have been developed. So what about those of us who can't necessarily follow the technical arguments And um, the technical jargon, what are we supposed to make of all this? And I'll include myself among those that are having trouble following these technical arguments. For us, um, here's my attempt at trying to make sense of the potential impact and global role of cryptocurrency. It's probably a good place to start for us to talk about what cryptocurrency is in the first place. And so what I do is I um, I go right to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia gives us a definition of cryptocurrency. It defines it as a medium of exchange using cryptography to secure the transactions and to control the creation of new units. Cryptocurrencies exist only in the digital realm. So we're, th- we're talking here like, artificial intelligence, and uh, technical uh, things. It's only existing in the digital realm. There are no paper, notes, or physical coins. At the same time, cryptocurrencies have no intrinsic value. They share this characteristic with something called a fiat currency, which is issued by governments and central banks. So fiat is the Latin word for it shall be, Uh, Fiat money is essentially based solely on faith. Um, It is currency that a government has declared to be legal tender, but it isn't backed by a physical commodity. The value of fiat money is uh, derived from the relationship between supply and demand rather than the value of the material that the money is made of. So historically, most currencies were based on physical commodities like gold or silver, but Once again, fiat money is based solely on faith. Though major central banks own gold and silver, the currency they issue is not backed by gold. In other words, it cannot be converted into gold upon demand. The value of fiat currency is a function of supply and demand. There are many sources, numerous sources of demand for currency. Governments demand taxes be paid in their fiat currency, for example, and this creates demand for that currency. There is only two sources of supply. The central banks of states and private banks in fractional reserve money systems that enable banks to create new money through issuing new loans. In a fractional reserve banking system, if a bank has 10 bucks in cash deposits, which are otherwise referred to as the reserve, the bank can issue a new loan of a hundred bucks. That's hard to believe because when you think about it, if the bank only has $10 in cash, how can it possibly issue a loan of $100? It's $90 more than what it has on reserve. Well, this loan is new money that was created out of thin air. When the loan is paid in full, this new money disappears from the system. When central banks or states issue new currency in excess of what the economy is producing, the supply overwhelms the demand and the currency's value falls accordingly. An example of a country where this is happening um, in the present day is Venezuela. The official exchange rate of the Venezuelan bolivar, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, is 10 to the US dollar, to one US dollar. But the black market value, believe it or not, is closer to 1,000 bolivars to one US dollar. Governments typically restrict alternative currencies. And the reason they do this is to protect their monopoly on money issuance. Uh, their residents must use the government-issued currency or face prosecution and possible conviction and prison time. The U.S. government, uh, thankfully, uh, so treats Bitcoin as a commodity and not a currency. So the bottom line, when it comes to the U.S. government and Bitcoin, is that the U.S. government has found that it's legal. And if you're looking for some authority to rely upon there, this is based on the IRS's own ruling back in 2014 that Bitcoin be treated as property for tax purposes. It's subject to a tax that is called the capital gains tax. This is a trap that many people fall into. They don't understand that the U.S. government um, has its hand in the cookie jar, essentially, and that um, the, their Bitcoin is subject to the capital gains tax. Um, and this usually, uh, they usually get, uh, they usually get ambushed by this when their accountants are reviewing their uh, their holdings and their investments, and um, the questionnaires that accountants usually provide ask if the person is holding any type of uh, electronic currency. And when Bitcoin comes up, the accountants um, automatically begin to uh, transition into the capital gains tax mode. Now, that's the U.S. government. What about other nations? Well, other nations have banned Bitcoin outright. uh, Presumably, um, because it is an alternative currency outside their control and they don't and they can't regulate it. So the next question that usually comes up in the minds of people is why does Bitcoin have any value at all? There This can come down to two basic reasons. And you don't have to think too hard. Um, you might have already, Uh, thought about this when you were contemplating Bitcoin and investing in it. The supply of Bitcoin is limited. Um, The design, by its very nature, limits the total number of Bitcoins to 21 million. At present, there are over 15.5 million Bitcoins in circulation, which is roughly three-quarters of the eventual issuance of 21 million. The second reason why Bitcoin has value is that there's demand for Bitcoin precisely because it's outside the control of governments and it cannot be devalued at will by governments. So this is basically jargon for it's not regulated. And when a commodity is not regulated, it's easier to transfer it. It's easier to um, send it back to the home country. Um, There aren't as many restrictions imposed on it, um, and um, unfortunately, it can become, um, you know, it can become a part of the black market economy, and that's, of course, why many countries are concerned about it and its lack of regulation and, and have banned it. The U.S. government, again, um, has found that it's legal um, and that it's subject to capital gains tax. Why are most government central ban- and central banks trying to devalue or depreciate their fiat currencies? You know, it's a good argument. I mean, after all, devaluing currency reduces the purchasing power of everyone who holds a currency in the first place, meaning that the currency buys fewer goods and services. So why, pray tell, would a government want to do that? It's essentially... Um, It's essentially hurting its uh, citizens by reducing the purchasing power that they have by holding the currency. This loss of purchasing power makes everyone who must use the currency poorer. Why do governments and central banks pursue a policy that detrimentally affects its citizens? There are two primary reasons why governments seek to devalue their currency, and this Uh, begins to get a little technical because it's bordering on economics. It is economics. Uh, So I've tried to distill these arguments for you um, in a way that makes it somewhat um, easy to wrap your head around. The first reason why governments seek to devalue their currency is to make their um, exports cheaper, more competitive, and that's in the belief that expanding exports will make the overall economy grow Despite the fact that devaluing the, the currency makes imports more expensive, and hurts everyone who buys imports, the second reason is to make it easier for debtors to service their loans. Most countries um, have a uh, have an objective. Um, to ensure that debtors aren't left holding the bag and that they're able to recover uh, the loan that they made to um, a, um, uh, I'm sorry, creditors, (laughs) to make it easier for uh, debtors to service their loan. Most countries um, have an objective to Um, to make credit, to, to ensure that creditors are able to recover the money that they've lent to debtors and in addition to the interest. And so the second, that's what breathes life into this second reason why the government seek to devalue their currency. As our currency loses value, we experience that loss of purchasing power as inflation. What that means basically is that You know, a dollar today can purchase more goods and services than a dollar, um, you know, a year from now or two years from now. Um, In addition, the prices of goods and services rise as the purchasing power of the currency declines. Uh, Governments and central banks assume that wages will rise along with the prices of goods and services. This rise in wages makes it easier for debtors to service their debts um, or simply to make their monthly payments. In a system that depends on the expansion of debt to fuel consumption, making it easier to service existing debt is critically important. If debt becomes more difficult to service, debt expansion slows and so does consumption. As consumption slows, the the, economies, uh, the economy slides into a recession. So as their currency is devalued, the great problem that many people have is in transferring their remaining financial wealth out of depreciating currencies into a more stable currency or into assets in a more stable nation. So this um, next leads to the role of cryptocurrencies in capital preservation. This is where cryptocurrencies have a role that that could increase as global currencies are devalued. If a person can shift financial wealth out of a currency that um, that is just tanking and losing purchasing power into a cryptocurrency that's holding its own or even gaining in purchasing power, it'd be foolish for the person not to do so. What advantage do current do cryptocurrencies have over other uh, over over other value methods um, or over other uh, stores of value like gold, silver, or cash? These are considered to be the traditional stores of value, and they do have their advantages. I mean, you have in gold, silver, and cash um, a universal recognition that they are money. They, our U.S. dollar, for example, is backed by the good faith and credit of the U.S. government. But the disadvantages um, is that um, all of these traditional stores of value um, cannot be transported around the globe as easily as digital currencies. And so we talked about that a little bit earlier. So while the U.S. dollar, you know, is universally recognized and uh, while it's backed by the full faith and, and credit of the U.S. government, it cannot be transported around the world quite as easily as digital currencies. Even when you take into account Western Union and all of these other um, services for uh, wiring money, um, it simply uh, the U.S. dollar simply can't be transferred around the world as easily as digital currency. And when it can be, there is an enormous amount of regulation that a lot of people find to be burdensome. Um, there are international reporting forms galore that go along with transporting money from the U.S. to a foreign country, and a lot of people are turned off by that. Digital currencies are freely uh, transported and easily to um, and easy to uh, to uh, to trade. So this is definitely a topic of hot debate. Uh, Many observers and experts believe that it's virtually impossible to stop people from buying, selling, and sending cryptocurrencies because currencies like Bitcoin live uh, live in a world that is scattered around the globe. It's essentially a network that can be accessed by anyone who has access to the internet. And that presents a lot of um, a lot of potential for misuse and a lot of potential for criminality. So um, it's it's fair to say that in the not too distant future, we're going to see a lot of a lot of regulation um, by the U.S. government um, in digging their heels into Bitcoin. So while local exchanges could be shut down by governments and businesses could be prohibited from accepting cryptocurrencies, stopping people from logging into servers uh, that are situated elsewhere in the world is a bigger challenge. So you can begin to see that, you know, even if the U.S. government were to begin to regulate cryptocurrency here in the U.S., it it can't do as Uh, It can't do that in other nations, and other countries, without entering into some type of formal agreements, uh, treaties, for example, with these other countries. And um, I mean, my God, we cannot even agree on things that uh, cover local issues within the U.S. government. Think about the challenges that are posed when the U.S. government is trying to enter into uh, treaties with other nations. So this can be an enormous challenge. Many governments have outlawed cryptocurrencies, though their success rate in stopping their citizens from owning, using cryptocurrencies is unknown. The The one thing, the one big takeaway from all of this, if you don't remember anything else we talked about, is that the rise in daily transactions in bitcoins is a sign that the number of users is just exploding and increasing exponentially. Uh, Before we wrap this up, I want to talk a little bit about Bitfinex. Bitfinex, it's spelled uh, B-I-T-F-I-N-E-X. You can find them online. They are the leading cryptocurrency exchange and the world's largest exchange for trading Bitcoin against the U.S. dollar. Uh, So there really isn't a person who uh, trades in cryptocurrency that Uh, doesn't know about Bitfinex. In fact I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of people who um, exchange cryptocurrency in the U.S. are on the Bitfinex uh, trading platform. At the heart of Bitfinex are central limit order books for cryptocurrencies. This allows users to exchange Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies against U.S. dollars and Bitcoin. The Bitfinex financing market provides users with a way to earn interest on their U.S. balances by allowing them to lend their funds to other users wanting to trade with financing. The Bitfinex trading platform was designed to leverage Martian trading through Bitfinex's peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer funding network. And essentially, when you open up a Bitfinex uh, trading account you are assigned a cryptocurrency address. Uh, what's being debated right now is whether cryptocurrency has to be reported on a special international reporting form um, that was created by FinCEN called the FBAR. It's, uh, it's an, uh, an acronym that stands for Foreign Bank Account Report. Uh, that issue is uh, has yet to be decided um, however, there is a case that was decided by the Ninth Circuit called U.S. versus Ham, and it's a case that dealt with um, trading, online trading, and how um, vary and how people store money online uh, to use for poker accounts and things of that sort. And what's interesting is that. Uh, the district court in that US versus HOM case found that the uh, online account that the user was using uh, was very similar in nature to a bank account in the sense that money was stored, money could be withdrawn, money could be transferred, all at the Uh, will of the uh, user. And so the court basically compared the online account to that of a traditional brick and mortar checking account and said that if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and, um, you know, and, uh, and and, uh, sounds like a duck, then it must be a duck. And in that case found that the online poker accounts should have been reported on a foreign bank account report. The reason why that's important is because the penalties for not filing an FBAR are very, very expensive. Uh, The civil tax penalties, that is. So we are in unchartered territory regarding uh, cryptocurrency and uh, whether it needs to be reported or not on an FBAR. Because... um, you know, one could definitely, uh, would definitely uh, make the argument that uh, cryptocurrency and, uh, and the Bitfinex uh, trading platform is very similar in nature to a bank account in the sense that it stores money, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so more on that as developments arise. Uh, for now, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out for me anytime. I'm more than happy to uh, chat it up on cryptocurrencies.